The Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at the specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Society podcast. I'm Richard Kemp and today I'm speaking with Mick Cooper, Chartered Psychologist and Professor of Counselling Psychology at the University of Roehampton. We're here to discuss Mick's new book, Psychology at the Heart of Social Change, Developing a Progressive Vision for Society, published with Policy Press. Now, whether you align with the left or the right or anywhere in between, you're probably disappointed with the politicians who claim to serve your interests. In fact, that might be putting it mildly. Add to that mixed war, a looming recession, and total climate catastrophe, and it becomes clear that the way we do politics just isn't working. In his new book, Mick argues that we need to integrate the teachings of psychology and psychotherapy in order to focus away from the politics of blame and cultivate a politics of understanding. Mick Cooper, welcome to the Transforming Society podcast. Thanks, Rich. That's a fantastic introduction of the book. I wish I'd written that myself. <laughs> uh, Mick, with um, this uh, with your book, um, I'm coming. I'm coming to it from. Uh, from a, a no knowledge of psychology, psychotherapy, no no knowledge in that area, and yet I found I found your book really approachable the whole way through. Um, I think that was that was something you were going for. No, I think I think I remember that in the introduction that you were looking to kind of make this book more approachable. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's written for a non-specialist audience and certainly not for psychologists, although they might be interested. But it's really about how we can draw on. Uh, as you said, insights from psychology, psychotherapy, counselling, that, that massive body of knowledge that we've generated over the last 1500 years to think about how we can develop a, a better society uh, and, and one that is, that is fairer and kinder and more compassionate and uh, where more people can get more of what they want more of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you say that to a great extent, psychology individualises. This can help us understand a person's inner reality and help them heal on an individual basis. So why apply psychology to something so vast and interpersonal as politics? Well, I think three answers. So the first answer Mm -hmm. is that politics is about creating a better society and a world in which people are happier, more fulfilled. But often we don't actually know what it means to be fulfilled. You know, the question about what is fulfillment? Is it about having uh, just more food on the table? Is it about having better relationships? Is it about people feeling a sense of self-worth or is it about freedom? So I think psychology can really help us understand what it is that people most fundamentally need and want. I mean, that's not to say that psychologists by any means have got all the answers, Mm -hmm. but they have asked those questions. And as psychotherapists, you sit with people day in, day out, talking to them about what they want and the nuances and the complexities Mm -hmm. and really understanding a very deep existential level often, um, you know, where people are trying to get to. So the book certainly isn't saying that everything is there in psychology, but it is saying just as in politics we draw on from history or sociology and all these different areas, I think psychology needs and it can play a useful role. Can 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 and and it can tend to individualize and often focuses on the individual, but it doesn't have to, and it can help us. So I think that's one reason. Um, and then I think the second is that what psychology and particularly therapy does is to help us really understand um, um, 
why other people do the things that they do and, and develop a kind of compassion understanding for people. So when you're a therapist and you're sitting and sometimes people do things that maybe, you know, you, you find difficult to hear or you don't agree, but you can see more deeply, you know, the struggles and the needs and, and, and that often come out in distorted and sometimes damaged ways. But that you 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 sit with a kind of care and compassion with people, and I think you know the book is particularly written for people who are more on the progressive end of the spectrum. It's not mm-hmm. um, that you know that that it, it, you know people more to the right are interested. You know, fantastic, but it is particularly written to a progressive audience and to say. And one of the points I think is to say that progressive politics is all about compassion, caring. It's about creating a world which is fairer, where more people have more of what they want. And what I've argued in the book is that as well as having a kind of social and economic equality, progressive politics at its heart also needs to have what I call a psychological equality. It needs to come from a position of really valuing other people, not from a position of we're better than other people or we know more or Mm. we're smarter or more ethical. It needs to come from a position of trusting and valuing and appreciating others. And I think psychology can um, really help in that process because I think that is there at the heart of progressive politics, that care and compassion for others. But it's very easy to move, as you were saying, into a politics blame and, you know, we're better than them and we're right and they're wrong. And, And for me, that's not what progressive politics should or can be about. I think it can be about something much more fundamental about a caring for, for others. And I think mm-hmm. the other thing is, you know, what's really struck me, Rich, is, 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 is a therapist, it's just the parallels between what happens in people's internal worlds and what happens on the external plane. Um, so for instance, as a therapist, what you're often doing is you're working with people, you're, you're noticing where there's kind of more maybe marginalized voices. Uh, where there's a part of the person that is maybe quite vulnerable or quite ashamed and you're sitting with a person and you're listening and you're just noticing that there's some vulnerability and you're inviting the person to talk more about that and to share some of that. And maybe people often have very critical, dominant, authoritarian voices which are saying, oh, you're a bad person to them and you shouldn't do that. And we Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's not that we sit there and we say, you know, stop that, but we work with those more critical voices, we listen to them and we maybe help the person temper them down. And it's always struck me as fascinating, the parallels between that process and then what we do, again, from a more progressive perspective on the social Uh, and political plane where again you're trying to support more maybe marginalized voices prize difference and diversity here these different positions so i think if we can understand these parallels between processes at the intrapersonal level and then maybe at the person in a family or in a system and then in a community what we can do is learn from different processes like what does an internal democracy look like what does it look like psychologically if a person has a democratic inner structure i think as therapists we kind of implicitly work towards that um but there's methods and techniques that as therapists we use and i think can transpose up the planes just as political social process can transpose down and understanding the parallels also helps us move and integrate more effectively between these different understandings oh that's uh that's a a great uh you know a very a huge huge explanation for us but also given to us so you know so as i was saying in the beginning about approachability and the succinctness you took so much so much there and made it <laughs> made it very understandable to me thank you mick uh you're uh, um 
And you were saying about uh, understanding and about uh, about wor- working with people that you're not necessarily in agreement with. Um, I re- I, I'm I'm thinking in this case about uh, people who I know, who I am close with, who um, uh, are you know they voted in different ways to me. Say the Brexit vote, for example, being an example, or they they read uh, and watch different news sources to me. Daily Mail being an, a great example of that for me, uh, as in for people I know, um, and uh and you you talk in your book about how there are there are eight fundamental needs that we can keep in we can keep in 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 mind when we're when we're talking when we're talking with and and discussing with people that we don't necessarily agree with in order and I'm just wondering how like first of all what are these eight fundamental needs that you talk about and also how can keeping those needs in mind kind of help us help us in in a progressive way yeah, thanks, Rich. So, I mean, in the last you know decades in psychology, there's been more of an understanding of what it is that people most fundamentally need and want. And there's no definitive list, but bringing that together, the understanding is kind of a around that, and it's very approximate needs and wants that stand out. So, one is about just physical needs, hunger. One's about safety. And security both physical and emotional things like housing but also feeling emotionally safe pleasure is a big one that comes up in a lot of theories about people needing to have and striving for uh, enjoyment and pleasure in life growth learning comes up um it particularly in what's called the more humanistic models is something we all need to kind of develop and grow relatingness i mean and you know this is a crazy thing that progressives don't realize this that you know um so much progressive politics is about community and relatedness, but and psychology absolutely shows that we have a fundamental need for closeness and relatedness with others. Mm-hmm. You know, it's absolutely there at the heart of so much psychology, but also freedom. And often there's a tension between relatedness and freedom. Feeling of self-worth is another one that's important. Mm-hmm. And then from an existential standpoint, something about meaning. And 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 there's a kind of ninth one as well that it's not just about fulfilling all these needs but it's also about that process of movement itself is a really important one that we're striving for things and i think sometimes on the left we've tended to just think about kind of people having their needs and maybe underestimated that need that we all have to strive and to to not not necessarily to compete but to the movement you know that movement towards those needs like the research Mm -hmm. shows that um a kind of feeling that we're progressing towards things is often as important for our well-being as actually having those things. Mm-hmm. So understanding, I think, that that there are these kind of fundamental needs that we all have. And there's nothing kind of bad in there. You know, that that when we look at that and when we understand people in that way, there's no kind of evilness or maliciousness. There's no like kind of, you know, daily male read. There's no kind of <laughs> right-wing nastiness that is in there. Um, you know, for why people read the Daily Mail. And that's not to say, you know, when I read stuff in the Daily Mail, I don't know, oh my God, you know, migrants in boats. And I, I mm. hate that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. as much as a lot of progressives do. But I think at the end of the day, you know, hating it and blaming and saying, you know, what's wrong with you is not helpful politics. You know, mm. I don't think it helps really. And I don't think it's progressive. It's not a kind of spirit of cooperation to be looking at people who read the Daily Mail or, you know, you know really far right people as well. But of course, that's not to say we shouldn't be standing up against 
those things that can be incredibly destructive in society. People, for instance, are racist, homophobic, transphobic, you know, those things need standing up against. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think, and in parallel, not instead of, but in parallel, to really challenge those positions, we need to understand where they come from. Because if somebody says to me in an argument, you're wrong, you're bad, you're evil, I don't go around and go, oh, yeah, you know that, you're right, actually, I am a bad, evil person. <laughs> you know, what I go is, I go kind of, you know, two fingers. It's like, yeah. you know, and I react against that. And I react against that and it just creates that divisiveness and that blame and that hostility that, that doesn't really end up us getting anywhere. So I think understanding, like I think a lot of more conservative reactionary politics comes from, a, comes from fear and it mm -hmm. comes from a people's desire to feel safe. And, you know, something like the migrant boat crossing, people do feel afraid and that doesn't make that right. But I think we need to understand that fear so that we can talk to it and communicate with it and dialogue with people with respect and find ways of addressing for instance that fear and anxiety politically like for instance left parties labor party green party um that can help people feel safe because we all have that need to feel safe as, as psychologists show but in a way then that's not damaging other people and that also allows for instance those migrants on those horrendous boat crossings for them to feel safe and for them to have have a life that for them also has meaning and safety and protection so i think you know it's not easy and it's not just about saying everybody's lovely and fluffy but mm -hmm. it is about trying to get to to develop a politic that can really genuinely engage with where I think people are genuinely coming from, because a, a progressive politics, like I do think progressive people need to ask, you know, how do I fundamentally see people? And a lot of the book is less about these are the answers and more about these are some questions we need to ask. Like if you're progressive, how do you fundamentally see people? What do you really believe about people? Um, and I think most progressives in their heart, you know, do believe that people are not not maybe inherently good, but that malevolence isn't something that is inherent to people. You know, I grew up actually, and I write a bit about this in the book, that I grew up, my family were communists, you know, so I grew up mm -hmm. in this family and, um, you know, we go to school and we'd be telling other kids we were communists, you know, this was back in the 70s and they, they'd be slightly shocked because, you know, it was Russia and, you know, China. And they say things like, um, you know, well, how can you have communism? How can you have fairness? Because surely people would just take whatever they want and people would just kind of murder and kill other people. And what we used to say is, you know, but but there's a fundamental goodness. I mean, that's how you we explained it as a, you know, me and my sister explained it as seven-year-olds. Um, <laughs> but I still kind of believe that. And I think the psychology yeah. research shows that, that, um, you, you know, even when you look at people who are really damaging to others, you see needs that are kind of common human universal needs. I don't think anybody has yet shown that there's a kind of inherent malevolence, a kind of Hobbesian malevolence in all of us. There's mm. we, when we get frightened and when we get afraid, we fight to protect ourselves and we can do very damaging things from that position. Uh, but I don't think that desire to hurt others is there. And I, and I think if it was there, that is a real challenge more than anything else in progressive politics, because in a sense, that is the conservative position. A more right wing position says, well, other people are out to get what they want. So we have to fight and we have to protect. So if we believe that, I think it, it, it makes it very difficult 
fundamentally to hold a progressive stance at the same time. And yet people mm -hmm. have done that. You know, you look at Stalinist and you look at those very totalitarian so-called left-wing positions. <laughs> and I think that's where you get to if on the one hand you're holding something progressive, on the other hand, your fundamental belief is much more cynical, uh, misanthropic. Yeah, that's a... Uh, oh, yeah, thank you, Mick. Um, with with kind of um yeah coming coming to people's coming to people's vulnerabilities and fears um i guess because because we're recording this in december at the moment and i'm thinking that i've got i've got a couple of christmases that i'm going to be going to <laughs> at the end of at the end of the month this uh this year different sides of family and uh kind of like having those conversations with certain family members that that i i can sometimes butt butt up but butt up against um are are different political viewpoints um they're not necessarily very kind of uh open to uh change and then but then also nor am i <laughs> we're we're both coming to we're both coming to the discussion say so you were saying about the, the the migrant boats for example um we're both coming to this discussion with our own um viewpoints our own baggage we're bringing that to the christmas table uh <laughs> and um and i and i know i know it's going to be hard because it always is hard and um and i guess i'm just wondering like would you have any would you have any tips for kind of having <laughs> <laughs> having the having those festive Christmas. conversations <laughs> it's difficult and i'm exactly the same as well like i can you know get into not very constructed arguments about this but i think understanding where people are coming from and understanding you know what the fears are or what you know listening and i think you know you could say well people on the right people are more conservative don't listen to us so why should if you're more progressive listen to them but i i think there's something about uh, i would like from a progressive as a progressive to be feeling like i can i want to take the lead and maybe listening and understanding and giving space to the other and challenging, but also from a position of first listening and really trying to understand what that position is mm. and seeing if there are ways forward. Like, why is this person so afraid of, um, uh, you know, migrants? What does it represent for them? What What is their sense of threat? Because I think something like that does come from a sense of, you know, you don't want to start psychoanalyzing over the Christmas, <laughs> not Rose, but, um, People, people, it, it, you know, this fear of the stranger, this fear of the other, this fear of something different that is going yeah. to invade is a very deep psychological concept. Mm. And probably it's going to be more constructive at the end of the day to talk about that um, than kind of arguing over the facts and the details. Because so much of these positions are emotional. You know, we get caught mm. up in the arguments about the details of a fact, but really it's about emotional positions. And it's mm. about people wanting to feel heard. It's about people wanting to feel a sense of often community, mm -hmm. their own community, and and and, and a desire to protect. Uh, though, you know, so I, I think if we can get into more of those conversations, then we're more likely to get somewhere that is is genuinely helpful. And maybe also explaining, you know, where we're coming from. Why why is it that it matters so much to us? I guess for me. You know, if I think about the migrant boat crisis, that it's about, you know, the horrors of seeing people be so hurt and and damaged and dying mm. uh, and the upset that I feel um, and seeing the, the waste of life. And maybe if I can articulate it in that way for myself, 
in terms of the emotional side, maybe rather than the more the kind of numbers and the fact that maybe something more helpful will happen. Mm-hmm. I suppose so. We're uh, I know for for my own self that I'm more taken in by uh, if there's storytelling thrown into the mix. Yeah. then I can if I can grasp onto some protagonist in some story, then I'm gonna I'm going to care more. I think that's yeah. I think I recognize that in myself. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know people feel attacked by our arguments and they're more likely to respond defensively. So if we can right. own it and I talk in a book about a kind of emotionally literate politics and the mm-hmm. idea of politics, which is about kind of owning it, owning our pos- positions recognizing that there's other positions in it you know that's what we've learned as therapists that if you're a couples therapist and you're working with a couple that's what you do you rather than people blaming each other and and saying you did that and you did that and you're wrong what you do is you invite the couple to talk about how they're feeling and where they're coming from and you know we've learned that that's a more constructive often Mm. way into addressing these kind of issues Mm -hmm. yeah thanks meg Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, with, uh, I suppose this this can apply to daily life. It can also apply, I, 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 I'm pretty sure, to politics as well. But that um, you say throughout the book that we're often sidetracked by what you call rogue goals. Um, and I was just wondering if you could explain, please, what, what rogue goals are and how, how do they hinder our growth? Yeah, so it's a concept in psychology, really, that, that there's a very interesting theory that rather than us having goals, often goals have us. Mm. And we can get so caught up in wanting to do something. You know, you've ever played Candy Crush Saga or something or missed your spot <laughs> on the tube because you're so caught up in something. Sure. There, there's something, as I was saying earlier, there's a kind of ninth basic need, which is about striving towards goals. And those, they, they can become so compelling. And we can become mm-hmm. so focused in a kind of self-perpetuating way that we lose sight of the bigger whole. Mm-hmm. And we forget about the other kind of needs and wants that exist. And that, that that's a process that I think happens across levels. So if you look at that on the I- intrapersonal level and think about somebody, say, who's, who's an alcoholic, that as a therapist, if I'm working with someone who's, who's using alcohol, I don't say to them, oh, that's, you know, that's a terrible thing. Why are you doing that? You must stop. What mm-hmm. I would do is I would understand it that there's a reason why that person's drinking. Maybe it's because right. they're very stressed and they're, 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 that, it, that it shuts things down in a way mm-hmm. that makes life manageable. And we can understand that and the intelligibility, the kind of, if you like, the reason for that. But what I'd be doing is helping a person understand that although there's a reason for that, in the wider whole, when they think about their other needs like relationships, health, that they can see it as part of the bigger picture, this kind of rogue goal that takes them over for this oblivion. Yeah, we may mm. understand that, but it, 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 it silences and it dominates other positions in a way that actually isn't helpful for the whole. And if you can see the whole, then you help the person see that there's other needs and that, you know, that they work then with you to find more, uh, more, more balanced, more synergetic ways, mm. and more cooperative ways of coming together. We'll come on to that. Um, but that idea of road goals of one part, one force taking over is something that you can also see in a family, say, if you've got one very dominant voice in a family. Of course, in between nations, uh, we're seeing that at the moment with Russia, where you have this very powerful, dominant, authoritarian voice that is really only thinking about its own needs as a nation. And for Ukraine, for other parts of the former Soviet Union, but those voices become more and more sidelined and more marginalized. 
as that one force strives to take over. And actually, that, that's incredibly damaging for the system as a whole. It's a global system that's become incredibly damaging because it's not seeing the wider whole. It's not understanding the bigger position. So the idea of road goals is a way of understanding how problems happen and how difficulties and how conflicts can emerge that doesn't dehumanize it doesn't it, it stays with that idea that people are doing things for fundamental reasons but although people can be doing things for fundamental reasons that aren't bad i mean you know i don't think russia if you looked at ultimately why they're doing these things it probably would be for some kind of universal human needs around self-worth around maybe fears and, and, and a sense of threat if you go back into russian history but even though those needs are very intelligible the way that it's done the process is incredibly destructive mm. um and at each of these different levels what we need to do to improve things is to have some way of standing back of all of us in the bigger whole holding the bigger whole you know ecocide the destruction of the environment you talked about earlier rich is mm. another example of where um you know forces can just become so single-mindedly hell-bent on achieving particular goals that seeing themselves in this wider context uh, gets lost and that's incredibly damaging it makes sense but it's incredibly damaging and i think what that does is that 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 gives us as progressives a way of saying some things are really not helpful some things really need challenging but we can do all of that whilst understanding the intelligibility behind it you know we don't need to demonize people hmm. we don't need to make them into bad people but we can still understand what they're doing as destructive we can challenge the behavior the action but we don't need to dehumanize demonize diminish the person i think that's really important as a progressive position right yeah um uh you you say in the you you talk in your book as well about um when when you when you are talking about rogue goals um and the 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 link with the neoliberal capitalist society that we're that we're living in or under however you wish to see it and that uh that that, that creates rogue goals as well about how Absolutely. um like uh your your self-actualization is you know over here on this side um but but the but the societal expectations of must must get house must have children must get this this amount of money must you know all these other musts um they're potentially like skewing you away from the from the from a path that could be much more valuable and beneficial to you as you know to your to your personal you know individualness is that yeah. the right way of putting it? <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. That's right, Rich. The goals, again, can take us over. And uh, with, the, with, with the pressures in this kind of neoliberal society to earn, uh, to have a house, to, and, and all of these, of course, are tied in with self-respect, our, our sense mm. of self-worth, which is probably what we're fighting for more than anything else. But it's tied in with such a kind of narrow range of satisfiers. And it becomes understandably obsessive you know we become mm -hmm. so focused on that that we can lose a recognition of our other needs like creative needs mm -hmm. uh, healing needs relatedness needs and people can live their whole lives in that way and and we we can and, and we can forget who we are we can forget the totality of who we are and it's mm -hmm. not about saying that those needs for instance for self-esteem are wrong but and the neoliberal world that, that sets it up in such a way that it's very specific what we need to do you know more facebook friends more followers <laughs> on twitter um and and we don't have a chance to sit back 
you know, and I think it's part of the workplace at the moment. Like everybody's so frantic, everybody is so busy, everybody is oh, yeah. so immersed in achieving things and doing things, and certainly I include myself in that. That that capacity to sit back and reflect and think about it and ask not just what do I want to do in my work, but what do I want to do in my life? It's becoming more and more difficult to ask those questions and you mm -hmm. have a kind of existential crisis where people are caught up in a race it's like everybody's running this race um and nobody's stopping and asking where am i actually going do what do i want to go this place and i think the book is is saying that you know to create a better society we need to be asking this question at these level you know labor mm -hmm. party green party more progressive parties um, they need to ask these questions as well. We can't avoid these kind of existential questions. And for a Labour Party, for instance, just to get caught up in the same goals and the same achievements and the same striving as as as, as, as neoliberalism, you know, has laid out for us, mm -hmm. I think is is too limited. We need to be asking some bigger questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mick. Um, you you mentioned earlier about uh, synergy as well. And I wanted to touch on that as well about how and it comes up a lot in your book yeah. um, about how we we need to be working. We we need to be working towards the same goals um, without without this uh, culture of blame um, in order in order for these goals to even be realized in the first place. So we, we need to be able to we need to be working in synergy. Um, and it uh, while I was reading the book, it, I was thinking, yeah, but what about climate change? Because uh, from my understanding, um, we're all we're all doing our bit in uh, quotation marks about you know taking out the recycling or or uh, um, uh, you know putting ourselves out by getting changing into electric cars or or taking buses, cycling, walking, running, whatever it might be. We're making our our individual um, efforts, but it seems it seems to me that the 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 much bigger, more obvious polluters are uh, are uh, what well, big business and that how and that that that's what really needs to change in order to make a huge difference um and so how do we how do we make changes how do we make the changes that are needed without using blame yeah well let me talk about synergies first because i think synergies okay. is amazing is a really powerful concept so progressive politics is a, is a lot based around the idea of cooperation the idea of people working together it's really core what differentiates a more progressive perspective from a more conservative one, which is more based on individualism and competition. But on, on the left, we talk about cooperation and things coming together. Mm. And what's fascinating me is that if you look psychologically, that what you're doing as a therapist is you're helping the different parts of the person work in synergy and cooperation. You're helping rather than having a critical force against a vulnerable force, a person blaming themselves and then feeling awful. What you're helping, you know, and you might even do it. Sometimes in therapy, we get people to sit in different chairs so they can talk to these other between the different parts. And, you know, you, you know, you kind of visualize it mm -hmm. so that the critical part begins to understand more of the vulnerable part, the vulnerable part be, be it becomes able more to speak itself. And rather than these two different forces, these wants fighting against each other, you find ways of them coming together and working towards, as you were saying, Rich, towards the same goal. And you see that in nature when, when you know, um, different plant species or animals come together and there's synergy. Synergy is an incredibly powerful force because what synergies does is that it allows you to create more within the same set of resources. And I think progressives really understand that within the world that we live in, if we can cooperate, then we can create more for all of us 
rather than um less and for more people and 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 mm. and, and um you know having that cooperation becomes such a powerful way and such a powerful principle synergies cooperation is such a powerful principle of change but um you know you raise the issue of climate change and any kind of uh synergy cooperative process is always within a set of uh, limits you know there's been some wonderful work work recently by uh, Kate Raworth this idea of donut economics that you might have heard of and this this idea that that there's a kind of donut if you think of those ring donuts there's a certain outer limit to how mm -hmm. much we can do and we live in a world that absolutely has limitations mm -hmm. and that we can't just you know all get and what what we need either in, in you know when you're working as a therapist you're helping a client to live within the limitations of their environment uh, and their context and think about how they can do that and politically as well we have to live within these these very limited precious um global resources that are there um and as you say that there are there, there's companies there's there's big businesses that uh, there's you know there's bolsonaro in brazil who, who's mm -hmm. fortunately gone for now who are not recognizing or respecting those limits and are acting as if there aren't limits you know they're, they're rogue forces because they are fulfilling a one set of needs without a respect for other needs within that planetary donut if you like mm -hmm. so the idea is synergies is cooperating is very much linked in with the idea of limits and we need to respect those limits we need to create the best kind of synergies that we can that working together but in a way that respects as much as we can achieve how we work with biz business you know obviously it's complex and that doesn't mean that we can't challenge um we can't fight against we can't do the kind of climate activism that people are doing but how are we gonna talk to the shareholders and how are we going to talk to the owners and the chief execs of these companies or these nations that are destroying. I don't think, and, the, and, and, and I think the psychology research shows, I don't think just blaming them, demonizing them is gonna help. I, I think it's just mm. ultimately divisive and it ultimately alienates and it ultimately leaves people just feeling like they're separate from these kind of do-gooders or these hippies. Um, I think we need to find a way of talking to them and dialoguing, understanding what it is they're trying to do as we were talking a bit before, I mean, you know, we were talking before, Rich, about what we do around the Christmas table. Mm, sure. And I think it's that same kind of dialogue that ultimately needs to happen where we can understand what it is. Part of the problem, I think, in this neoliberal society is people just get so divorced and separated from the concrete realities. You know, this shareholder who probably doesn't even know that they've got shares in some company that's destroying the environment is a million miles away psychologically from the damage that they're doing and certainly from the, 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 the kind of, you know, the floods that are happening or even the floods that are happening to themselves, you know. And sometimes you see that in the news. You see people who, 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 who probably have, maybe have never cared about the environment themselves. Mm complaining because there's been a flood or they you know their home had been destroyed and i'm saying they think oh my god you know like put these things can you put together that what you're doing is creating this destruction but <laughs> you know that's a psychological process and we know psychologically how distance people can get sure. from a concrete reality so i think you know you were saying that earlier rich about hearing people's personal stories and i think there's something mm. about that personal contact hearing those personal stories talking to people as human beings 
but ultimately is part of is part of rich is part of it's not the whole story but mm-hmm. it's part of i think what we need to do to bring about the capacity to live within that donut because we absolutely have to and i i think when you talk to people i think when people understand that they do it does make them think i think because again i think ultimately people have their desires for relatedness for for feeling good with others i don't think anybody ultimately wants to destroy the environment just for the sake of it mm. however much it might look like they're trying to <laughs> they're giving it a good go but yeah no i think you're right <laughs> but how you know how is somebody like rich if you think about it how is somebody giving that someone such a good go mm. like what is going on for them like what is going right. on for people and i think a lot of it is about you know and we can think about our own lives like there's things that i do sometimes that i'm not proud of you know like my kids are all vegetarians mm-hmm. and i really know that i should be a vegetarian i could you know i sometimes tell my kids i'm an ethical vegetarian and i believe in vegetarian but you know sometimes i do eat meat and mm-hmm. you know i you know and what goes on for me there there's there's absolutely some kind of cut off from the suffering of animals yeah and um you know i think if we can look at ourselves and think about well where do we put foot wrong in that sense that's probably an understand that that's probably going to be more helpful than just kind of blaming, demonizing, alienating people. Mm, yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, with uh, later on in your book, um, so there's a uh, there's a there's a uh, you go you go through um, theory in the beginning book, and as I said earlier, very approachable theory, um, very well laid out theory, and then later on in the book, you go you give us um, five five solid strategies for. <laughs> A, psych- a psychology-informed progressive society. Um, you say uh, positive parenting, social and emotional learning, nonviolent communication for all, uh, emotionally literate politics, which you mentioned earlier, uh, and also uh, developing a well-being economy. And uh, I was just wondering if you could explain, please, um, why why did you choose these five? I guess I chose them because to me, they seem the most kind of vibrant possibilities in active at the time and the current time and important as a way of moving forward towards a more cooperative more caring compassionate equal fair world i mean the one about social emotional learning i just find it amazing that kids go to school and they learn history and they learn geography and learn much Mm. they don't learn how to relate to each other Mm. they don't learn how to resolve conflicts they don't learn how to listen to each other. Like, why aren't our kids going to school and learning how to listen to each other? They don't mm-hmm. learn how to have, have good relationships. We know how important relationships are for future well-being. Like, why is not relatedness as big on the agenda as maths? Mm-hmm. It just seems like if an alien came and came to our planet, they just think this is crazy. And I think, <laughs> you know, if, if, if people on the left, progressives, are, you know, uh, are interested, I think we are, in creating for the long term a, a sustainable, cooperative society where people can genuinely work together. Sure. Right on our agenda should be about helping our young people learn to share, to be fair, to think cooperatively, mm. to work in things that are difficult. You know, it's not easy always being cooperative. We have our own needs, other people have their needs. Mm-hmm. We get into conflict, learning how to resolve conflict, learning how to find positive solutions and there are you know social emotional learning the research shows is a really powerful way of teaching kids compassion caring for others empathy for others these are all skills that we can learn and i would love to see on the uh, on, on the progressive agenda these things right at the forefront 
of helping to create a more, because I think it, it's what's going to make a kind of progressive worldview mm-hmm. ultimately more sustainable. Positive parenting is very similar. It's about helping to bring up kids that aren't, uh, that, that have a sense of security in themselves. And because I think we need that security and comfort and self-worth in ourselves to be able to work with others. If we don't have that, if we have a lot of kids that are damaged uh, and psychologically needy or traumatized, then that's really going to make it difficult to create a more cooperative world. And of course, that's partly because of the limits that we're in and the economic limits. So it's not saying those things aren't important, you know, poverty uh, and racism, the kind of things that create trauma as well. We need to challenge those. Mm -hmm. But also within those limits, helping parents learn how to bring up their kids in negotiative, cooperative ways, teaching them those skills. I think it's massively powerful and massively important in creating a more compassionate world. And then nonviolent communication is a system. It's a very simple, basic system of communication, but it's just about being able to resolve conflicts by talking about how something makes us feel, saying about what we want, not blaming, being able to say what we'd like different. It's about being assertiveness and assertiveness is, is very closely related to it. And I think mm-hmm. it's a really nice codified, simple way developed. I think it was in the sixties, Marshall Rosenberg It's very widely used and it brings together a lot of these principles as a way that we could talk and communicate with each other. And, and what I argue in the book is that from a, as progressives, I think we should be kind of adopting that as a way of talking both to our colleagues, but also to those that we disagree with that kind of non-violent, non-blaming way of communication. So that then leads on to an emotionally literate politics. And I I mean, I just find it so, you were saying at the beginning, Rich, about the what, you know, how politics works. And Mm -hmm. when you listen to something like Question Time, I just find it so disappointing, the level of, you know, these are the leading people in our society. And you see them squabbling like four-year-olds and demeaning and belittling and humiliating mm. each other. And, you know, shame is used all the time and talking to the other like they're an idiot. And, you know, mm. people on the right want to do that. That's, that. you know, for me as a progressive, that's fine. But I, I would really like that us as a progressive community find a way of talking to others that expresses our values. If yep. we believe in compassionate and compassion and caring and cooperation, then I think we need to talk to other people like that. Like not I put all these things in manifestos, like Labour Party manifesto, we're right. And, and it, you know, it's, it's one thing to talk about going kind of like, like the Conservatives or the English Defence League, but when the left, the Labour Party are talking about how the Greens are all rubbish and, and the Greens <laughs> are talking about the Labour, I mean, that that, that is such a shame that... Yeah. For me, that that people are, you know, that these parties can't work together, care, mm. and, and rather than think about how do I put myself on top, think about how do I cooperate and communicate and talk to others in a way that that respects others and, and you know, and tries to understand where people are coming from. And then the well-being economics, I mean, I hadn't heard about this until I started researching this book, but it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant um, new development. Uh, well, new, probably last decade or so, by people like Catherine Trebek, who's an amazing um, kind of young woman thinking, developing ideas, which is really putting well-being at the heart of economies. And what it does mm-hmm. is that they they argue that, you know, we shouldn't be focusing on GDP. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be focusing on financial issues. When we look at how good a society is, we should start by issues of well-being. Of course, you know, how do you define well-being? Well, there's lots of different ways. I'd, I'd put right there those needs we were talking about earlier, Rich. Right. Um, 
And uh, but but then thinking about that as you know, change in policies should be around improving well-being, and I think that's mm. a fantastic new development that I wish more people on the left knew about because I think it's it's really leading the way uh, today in linking up um, progressive thinking with psychological understandings that mm -hmm. is pointing to an amazing new future. And God knows we need hope right now, Rich. God knows, <laughs> you know, we need hope with everything that's going on. And that, when I read that, I was so, you know, it's the kind of thing I was going off to dinner parties and boring people about <laughs> wellbeing economics and Catherine Trebek says this. And cause I, I just find it fascinating. And what's brilliant is that you've got these, we go governments now, which are governments in, um iceland and new zealand and i think finland and, and scotland uh there's who are actually putting this right at the heart of their politics right amazing and it's you know i just find it so moving to see that that yeah. these things are possible in in all the terrible things the ukraine war financial crisis that is going on there are mm. these kind of little glimmers of hope and possibility and god knows we need that now yeah i think uh with um I, I really like the the non the the not reifying the gdp at the top the, the not the not doing that um and focusing on well-being instead in terms of like um politics the the political change should be should be thinking about how can we make our populace's lives better not how can we make this country more money which doesn't actually have any effect on anybody's day-to-day -day or you know entire living standards um with uh and and I was thinking as well about um it, it came up a lot through reading your book about um 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 kind of like interpersonal discussions and also politi political discussions you were saying about uh, the question time um example as well and just that uh, um I suppose uh that um when when we're trying to when we're trying to like come come to to the table with other people when we're trying to make progression as progressives we shouldn't be we shouldn't be thinking about discussions arguments debates as like i need to win that's that's that, that comes into synergy as well no it brings it back to synergy as well it's like we're not we're not here to win um that's not going to help anybody is that right absolutely rich you've absolutely got it or i think we're here to achieve win-win solutions right and right. i talk about game theory in the book as well which has been so interesting about this idea of win-win solutions so i think we are here to win in a sense but win as a wider whole right and that a win-lose solution where you know what are you going to do at dinner parties somebody so so you convince somebody you're right at a dinner party mm. and they go away and this is where psychology comes in like what's going to happen to them i just think they're going to go away they're going to feel humiliated mm. they're going to feel angry mm. they're going to feel like they're going to go back and think about and they'll be musing over it they'll be waking up three o'clock in the morning and thinking actually this is why you're wrong and they're going to come back it, i don't think that's how people change it's certainly not how i change and i think you know, recognizing that often that desire for a kind of win-lose solution, where's that in me emotionally? That's mm -hmm. where psychology can be really helpful because, and that's not to say it's wrong, of course, you know, I have that sometimes when I'm in arguments, um, but understanding where that is in me, understanding that in my own vulnerability, my own fears, um, and being able then to stand back from that and then think about what's a more synergetic way in that can help us achieve something which is mm -hmm. which is more sustainable thing about win-lose it's not sustainable win-lose mm -hmm. is about you know russia trying to invade ukraine 
or it's about marginalizing particular communities in society it doesn't work because it doesn't kind of recognize the humanity the agents of the other the other is not an object they're a subject and psychology can help us understand that 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 we need to recognize the subjectivity of the other rather than see them as a thing and if we recognize them if we recognize the other as an intelligent thoughtful agentic human being like ourselves mm. then i think we can embody a progressive politics that is genuinely progressive because that is that psychological equality that's what progressive politics is about is about seeing the other as somebody mm. like ourselves not thinking that we're better than the other not thinking that we're smart and we're clever but yet you know when the labor party is saying you know, we're right, the Greens are wrong, or where I'm sitting in a dinner party saying, you know, I'm right and you've just got a stupid opinion. That's moving away from me from what progressiveness fundamentally can be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Mick. It's been, a, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today, Mick, about your book. Um, and uh, I encourage everybody, everybody listening today to go out and get it. It's a brilliant read. And uh, um, and I will just uh, tell them tell them where to find it. So... Psychology at the Heart of Social Change, Developing a Progressive Vision for Society by Mick Cooper is published by Policy Press. You can find out more about his book by visiting policy.bristoluniversitypress.co.uk and also by going to transformingsociety.co.uk. Thanks, Rich. It's been brilliant talking to you. Really yeah, you too, Mick. Thanks so much. Cheers.